So listen, we started this series a few weeks ago talking about our purpose. We're talking about the, the, this kingdom and extending the domain of King Jesus, that, that we are key holders in, the, in, in, in the, the kingdom of God, that God isn't no longer holding the keys. God's not holding the keys of the kingdom anymore. We're holding the keys. So the authority that he has, yes, he still has authority. He is still the king of kings. and he's, he, The kingdom all revolves around him, but he's given us the authority to function and spread his dominion on the earth. And then last week we talked about relationships because the kingdom of God is not built upon one person. It wasn't built upon Peter as we talked about in the purpose uh, series, and it, but, but it's built upon a collective group of people, the people of the kingdom. And we talked about people and all that kind of stuff. We, we uh, got that on the podcast. So if you guys were here, weren't here, man, it, it's just, I really believe it's helpful for you. kind of lets us know like who, our identity, who we are as a people. What do we look like? Uh, how, how would you describe us? Well, we're a passionate people. So these are, these are, gives you language to, uh, for our identity. And tonight I want to talk about the presence. What is it that we have at Overflow Church? What is it that, what is, what is this, this, the content that is inside of us? What, what do we bear? You know, way back in, in Genesis, God calls us image bearers, right? He says, you're, you're like me. And so God created your identity to, to bear the image of God himself, to represent God on the earth. And this is the whole idea of the kingdom. And uh, I, so I want to spend some time talking about that content tonight, the content inside of us, the presence. At Overflow, we value the presence of Jesus. Every time we gather and everywhere we go, we believe when Jesus reveals himself that he speaks, he heals, and he transforms lives. We believe the value of the presence of Jesus. Every time we gather, everywhere we go, Jesus is with us. We value that. We, we, we don't just recognize that. We don't just say that's good. We value this. This is like a non-negotiable for us, the presence of Jesus. Like we're not, we're not good just to come together and have a little bit of fellowship and have fun. Like we, we want the presence of Jesus manifest. Are you with me? We're not, not so much like, oh, yeah, we know God's with us all the time. He's omnipresent. Okay, that's good. But how, what does that look like? What does that feel like? You know, we're, we're afraid to talk about what, what does it feel like when Jesus is there? Right? Because it feels different when Jesus is there than when he's not there. But he's always there whether I feel him or not. Well, I don't know about you, but it's not good enough for me not to feel him. And you can call me shallow or whatever. That's fine. If you want to think, I'm just telling you, I'm not willing to live without emotion, um, an emotional connection to Jesus. I'm not willing to live with that. I'm not. I mean, you might be solid enough where you don't need the, the butterflies and you don't need the goosebumps. You might be that spiritual and that solid. I'm not. So you might, you might say, well, I, I don't. Well, you, if you want to live without it, you can and you will. But for me, I won't. So I haven't. So we're, we're talking a little bit tonight about worship. You know, the presence. Like, you know, when Jesus is there, we worship him, right? And worship, you know, I want to talk a minute about worship because when we say this, we value the presence. That's really what we're saying. We're valuing the presence of Jesus. We, we value that. That's why we press into worship. That's why we're like, oh, let's go after it. You know, that's why we, we mess with sound so much. We mess with it because we want to create an environment where Jesus dwells. And there's a couple of things about worship. And this isn't really a message on worship, but it is. 
So the first thing is worship wages and wins wars. Worship wages and wins worlds, wars. Listen, the, the, the battle against darkness was initiated because of worship. It is for worshipers, and it's won through worship. So the whole battle, this whole darkness thing started because of worship, right? The devil was ticked because God was getting worship, and he thought, you know, if I and I could do that, I need worship. Well, some people worshiped him, or angels, beings worshiped him, and he took some of those, right? And first church split in history, right? So it was initiated because of worship, and the battle is for worshipers. It's still to this day. The enemy, he is on attack because he wants to distract people from loving God. So it's for worshipers, and it's won through worship. So how do we win this war of, of, that's for worshipers? How do we win this world war because of worship? Through worship. So when God sets up this thing, this kingdom, this dominion on the earth, he wasn't like just wanting laborers, come on. He wanted lovers. Lovers always labor. Laborers don't always love. God knows if you'll be a good lover, you'll be a good laborer. So he's not calling you to be a laborer. He's calling you to be a lover. Because once you love, you'll work for anything. But if you labor, you work for a wage. And when that wage isn't enough anymore, you stop working. Thus we have burnouts. The reason why people get burned out is because they're working for the wrong thing. Oh. In Scripture, we see battles being won through worship. Right? All these battles being won through worship, right? King Jehoshaphat, send the, send the musicians ahead of the army. <laughs> They're like, okay. Right? Joshua, when he takes the city, what do they do? They shout. Come on. We see all these examples through Scripture. So first of all, worship wages and wins wars. Secondly, worship provides a dwelling place for God's presence. See, when God shows up, we worship him, but we've got to worship him in order to get him to show up. And Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, this is the scripture that we, most, most people use, the traditional scripture for this thought is that you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. So what it's saying is in praise, God enthrones himself. Now, it doesn't just say that God dwells it. Now, how many of you know when God dwells, he rules? Because he's a ruler, so it's part of his identity. So Psalm 22, 3, enthroned in the praises of Israel. So when Jesus shows up and he dwells, he rules. And how many of you know that he doesn't have to walk around and be like, I'm in charge? This is how people do, right? That's how people rule. I'm in charge here, right? You want to know how you know somebody's not in charge? If they have to say they're in charge all the time. (laughs) I'm in charge here. Really? Okay, thanks for clearing that up. I was confused. I was wondering who's in charge. It's you, I guess. And so, Jesus, it's interesting, he sits. He's like, okay. Notice that on the last day, he rested. Jesus is now, Hebrews 12 says that he is seated. Why? Because the work has been done, so he's seated. And that's where all the authority comes from, is the king enthroned. And so when we worship, the king is seated in our midst. And there's things that happen 
when he's in our midst, right? Healings break out and people are restored and people are falling in love and people are discovering salvation, right? And he brings order to chaos. Like all this stuff happens when Jesus sits. And the way to get that to happen is to provide a dwelling place, just a place for him to come and sit. And so when we worship, that's what he does. You're like, why do you get so excited during worship? Because he's here. He's sitting. So he dwells. He rules in this throne. Thirdly, that through worship, third thing about worship that we believe is that through worship, we encounter him intimately. And we hit on this um, a moment. Did you notice that the, the, the thing, the only really two things of the law that Jesus emphasized, he asked the guy, he's like, what, what is, what's the greatest? Right? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. These are the things, right? Jesus said to the whole law, the prophets, man, right there. Just those two things, man. It's, it's all about this. If you can get into this love thing, right? Everything else just kind of falls into place. So worship, why? Why, why? why does Jesus want us to be lovers? I mean, really the law just really taught people how to be laborers, right? Workers. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this right? List. Oh, man. I mean, you fall asleep reading Leviticus. I know you're more spiritual than that, but you do fall asleep reading Leviticus, right? You're like, oh, list, right? But God is a lover, just like the beginning. It was all about the garden, right? It was all about coming to the garden. It was all about hanging out. It was all about loving on God. It was all about worship. Through worship, we encounter him intimately. God is a lover looking for lovers. Jesus emphasized it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Like, oh, that's where I want to be. All. I'm all in, right? Even when I'm, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm there, right? the intention of our heart. Really, he's saying, I want people that are just obsessed with me, right? Like creeping on Jesus all the time, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like Jesus. Like he wants you to be obsessed. You know, you, you see these movies about, about possessed people, right? And, it, and it's really a, uh, you know, just a distortion of a different kind of possession, I preached a message one time about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I called it possessed, you know, and we'll probably do a series called that maybe at one point. And because I really believe that, that really to be in love with Jesus, we really walk like we're obsessed, but we're possessed. We're possessed by love. We're possessed by a man. And it's not the same type of demonic thing that's all about control, but it's actually about liberty, and it's about functionality, and it's about invading reality. This is what love looks like. Because you know that you were possessed and you were obsessed with that person when you fell in love, right? You're like, oh, dang, it's all I can think about. I'm like carving her name on my arm, right? That might be a little extreme, but you know what I'm saying. So this is presence. This is worship. Worship wages wars and wins wars. And worship provides a dwelling place for God's presence. And through worship, we encounter him intimately. So what we love about worship is, man, we meet with the man. Now listen, Jesus is very passionate about us being presence-focused, about us being focused on his reality with us, about him, us being focused with he's here now. 
right? And in fact, Matthew 21, we see, you know, for the first time, we really see Jesus get fired up, right? We know the story. Jesus is coming into town. He's riding on the donkey and the colts there. And they're like, hey, hey, everybody. Everybody, it's King Jesus. Finally, they were treating him like the king. So they're like, all right, king, it's time to go to the temple. And it says that Jesus entered the temple. In Matthew 21, it says he entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over their tables. I love this. I would have loved to, love to see this. He knocks over their, I mean, it's not like just some guy throwing a fit. I mean, it's Jesus throwing a fit, right? It's like, this is big time. I mean, this is Jesus meek and mild, you know, like tender Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a little shady, Jesus. I mean, this is what, you know what you do. You know, you just kind of, you know, you're kind of like a big teddy bear, Jesus, right? And he's like, let me show you what I'm passionate about. And he starts throwing stuff. You know, preachers are jumping out of windows. People are freaking out. They're running. They're selling doves. And he said to him, the scriptures declare my temple or my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So what is prayer? Jesus is frustrated. He's like, now was Jesus really talking about prayer? Yes, he was talking about prayer. But let me tell you that I believe that Jesus was talking about an idea of his house. That Jesus would say, listen, you guys have got it all wrong. You're here to make money, but this is where you're supposed to come and have communion with me. This is the place where you are supposed to engage me because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is engagement. It's communion with God. The early church, they prayed a lot. They were a house of prayer. Prayer wasn't all that they did, but they were absolutely possessed by the presence of Jesus. They were houses of prayer. It wasn't, the building wasn't the house of prayer. The people were. Are you with me? Checking with me? All right. First Peter. We've been using the scripture a lot. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. My house should be called a house of prayer. What's more is that you are his holy priest. Priests are those that minister before the Lord, right? So he says that we are being built into spiritual temples. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of people that are possessed by my presence. So the reason why Jesus was ticked this day, the nice word ticked, is because they forgot what the house was for. They thought it was to be entertained. They thought it was to make a little money. They thought it was about business. Oh, they thought that's what church was about, was business. It was a business side of church, but church is about being a house of prayer, about being a house where people meet with God. And they lost that. And I think that Jesus has a problem when church becomes about anything else other than meeting with God, whether it's numbers or money or book sales or decisions. Those are great. We want to make decisions. We'd rather make disciples, but we're to be a house of prayer. We're to be a place where people come 
to meet with God. Not just an evangelistic center. Should people get saved in our church? Absolutely. I hope so. But we need to shut the doors. But we're a house of presence. Is it our, is it our, our, our good techniques or we're, we're doing all the things that we've learned in Bible college so we know all the right things to say and the music's just right so we're persuading people to make a decision or because we're so clever that we kind of trick them into this thing called discipleship that won't happen. It's the presence that transforms lives. So what's happening is we're having people come into church and they're like, oh, I'm committed. And then the next day, what happened to your commitment? Oh, that... Because it was our cleverness and our schemes and our vision statements and all this kind of stuff that transformed the people. But it didn't really transform the people. It just got them to say something and fill out a card. And so no disciples were made. I'm just not sure that God's just really that into that. I think he's more about us being a house of presence. And if there can be 20,000 people and it be a house of presence, Awesome. And in order for that to happen, there probably has to be a lot of business being involved. There probably has to be a lot of money being spent. I mean, that's, these are the realities. But what is it really about? Got a little soapbox there. I submit to you tonight that Jesus is talking about a temple, and it would be easy for us to say, okay, all churches need to be like, you know, aha, 24-hour house of prayer. I think we miss it. Because it's not about the church. Should we have a 24-hour house of prayer? Absolutely. But it's not about the church doing the thing, the building, the organization. But it says that we, the people, are temples. Jesus said, my temple, my house should be a house of prayer. You and I should be about presence. We should be a place where we meet with God. Where do you meet with God? Right here. That's where I meet with God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? See, we need to stop viewing God's presence. Listen, we need to stop viewing God's presence as a place that we visit on a Saturday night, although that's good to do. But we view it as a reality that we live in. So it's not about coming and let's get into the presence. That's good. We're going to continue to do that. It's not a place that we visit. It's not something we frequent. It's not something we come to once a week. It's a reality that we live in. I am a house of prayer. I don't have to go to church to get encouraged. I am a house of prayer. I am the church. I am the temple of God. For most, the context of living in his presence means a chunk of time in a given week. May I submit to you tonight that that's very Old Testament. This is exactly what they were doing. They were coming to the temple. Here we are at the temple, God, giving our sacrifices. Okay, let's go live our lives. Jesus revamped this whole thing. And he's like, I'm getting rid of this system because the system doesn't work. I want lovers. And you've got all these people keeping laws. You've got all these people working really hard and being mad at everybody because they're not working as hard as they are. But I don't really have anybody that loves me. I don't really have anybody that really wants me involved in the day in, the day out. So I'm just going to change everything. And I'm going to get up inside of them. And I'm going to live with them every day. And it's going to be better that I'm going to the Father. And they're like, oh, no, Jesus, don't go. And he's like, it's better because I'm going to not be among you and around you. I'm going to be in you. And you will be 
a house of prayer. You will be a communion partner with God. You will be in constant fellowship with me. Let's go to church. Let's go hang out with God. Let's go get all of our issues fixed. We love this. We want encounters. We want that. I'm not negating that. But what I'm saying is it doesn't end there. That might be a starting point to get us to a greater reality. The presence of Jesus is the content of what we carry that changes the context of how life happens. You want your life to change. You want things to be different. You don't need a different context. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new relationship. You don't need a new city. You don't need any of that. You need more presence because the presence changes the context. You want things around you to change, more presence. Jesus changes things. You want sickness to leave? Content. Content. And when my king shows up, he brings order to chaos. And guess what? I am his temple. Here he is. He's in the room. Well, I'm not feeling anything. Well, I am. i never forget. We were doing some outreach in El Paso at the mall. And uh, some of our teenagers are kind of in this heated debate with this guy, you know. Of course, I want to get up in that. You know, I mean, they're my kids. And they're, they're kind of getting eaten alive by this guy that's real angry. You know, God, I'm a Christian. And so, like, I walk up, and they're kind of, like, hanging out, and I'm just like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? I'm the youth pastor, right? So I show up, and they're, like, having this, like, heated thing. And so I just kind of, like, butt my way into the conversation, you know, like any good youth pastor would. And so I'm just kind of, you know, I'll take it from here. You know, I was right there just standing next to whoever it was. I don't even remember who it was. And so I'll start talking to this guy, and I was just like, listen, man. We're not mad at you. We love you. And when I said that, I reached over and I, like, patted him on the arm like that. And when I did it, I felt the presence of Jesus, like, come out of my body. Like, I mean, I knew my, the presence was there. So when I did that, I just felt like, you know, this, like, come out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I looked at him. I was freaked out as he was. I looked at him. I was like, did you feel that? And he's like, I don't want to feel good. And I was just like, dang. The presence of Jesus changes things. It changes the context that we live in. And, uh. I wish I could say that happened every day, but let's, let's believe it's going to happen more often because the presence of Jesus is the content of what we carry that changes the context of how life happens. So it's not that I need everything else to, around me to change. I need to change it. I've got the keys. I've got the presence. It's the most life-changing thing in the world. It rocked me, and it's fixing to rock you, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like you have the power to change people's day. I mean, it can be as simple. And listen, it doesn't necessarily mean you're preaching the gospel. I mean, yeah, that's where we want to be, like, at some point with these people. But sometimes it's just like you're talking to the cashier at Walmart, and they're like, oh, it's been a hard day. You wouldn't believe my kids. I'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what? Your day's just fixing to get better. How about we be some salt and light and release some Jesus in the atmosphere? Listen, I'm all about the encounters. You guys know this, man. I'm all about us coming together and having these moments of worship. And really what I'm trying to produce in you is a desire for greater moments that, that, that bring greater breakthrough in reality. Not just like moment, oh, man, I can't wait till the end. Like we're going to do this thing, you know, on August 17th. August 17th, mark your calendar. We're going to have an encounter night. 
We're just going to be like, hey, we're talking about this stuff. We're just going to really make room for it. So if you've been like waiting, oh, when's the perfect night to invite them? This night. Because we're going to be like, okay, let's open it up. Let's get some people healed. Let's get some people delivered. Come on, let's get some people free. Come on, let's get some people happy. (laughs) Right? Come on, let's break some junk off. So we're going to work really hard, and we're going to focus on August 17th, and we're going to have an encounter. I'm all about encounters. But I, I was explaining this uh, to a friend this week. I said, listen, it's kind of like we, we, we live from encounters. Like it's all encounter. Oh, man, if I could just have another moment like that. And so what happens is, well, the encounter kind of wears off. You know, it's kind of like you went to youth camp. and oh, Right? We've all seen that before. We just need another encounter. If I could just get back to camp and everything will be all right. Right? Like you have the power in you right now. So I'm all about the encounter. But listen, the, the, you've got to think of, and this is, there's just no other way to explain it. There's probably a better way, but this is the only way I can think of. It's kind of like currency, okay? Lord, you know, you, you have a job, right, that you go to that you make money at. Every once in a while, you might get like an income tax check. Come on. You might get a good bonus, right? You might get a blessing in the mail. But that ain't the thing that you live from. You live from the daily grind. You live from what comes in every day. And listen, this is where we've got to view the presence of God. It's a daily function. It's a daily reality. Will I have bonuses at work? Yes. Will I have encounters at church? Yes. Will there be moments that are like monuments in my life? Absolutely. But those aren't the things we live from. Those aren't our reality day in, day out. We've got to change our reality day in, day out. Do we say the presence of Jesus is here? The presence of Jesus is here moment to moment, day to day, week to week, year to year, from from this life that's being changed to that life that's being changed. You want to see everything around you change, the context change around you, then embrace the content that is already inside of you. I love the gatherings. We're going to have the gatherings. We're going to press in and God's going to melt our face off. It's going to be awesome. But it's not, but the drive of our life isn't a moment. The drive of our life is the day in, day out communion. Jesus, who are you? Jesus, reveal yourself. God, what are you saying? We'll call this, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. I encourage you, if you study a passage of, of scripture, study like John 14 through 17. You want to talk about what life looks like now as believers. This is what it looks like, being filled with the Spirit. This is the life. So Jesus gives language to what we're talking about tonight. It's called abiding. This is where the presence of Jesus is continuing to dwell. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he, produces, and, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they produce even more. But check this out. You have already been pruned and purified by the message. So Jesus is like, you don't need any more pruning. You're ready for this. Okay? What was he talking about? The message that Jesus brought, the message of the kingdom, the, the good news, the gospel. Correct? Then he says this. So now that that's happened, now that you're pruned, now, now you're ready, you're grafted in. Remain in me. Dwell in me. And I will remain in you. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is served, if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus is saying, stay in me and you'll produce fruit. And I will stay in you. He doesn't say if you don't remain. Oh. For a branch cannot bear fruit if it's severed from the vine and cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. So he's the source of what we're talking about. Those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. Listen, if you want to be fruitful, don't, start, don't just think about your fruit all the time. Start thinking about Jesus all the time because he's the one that makes you fruitful. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I look at that and I'm a looker in the world and I'm like, Jesus, they're apart from you and they're doing something. But in his eyes, it's nothing. And I don't care how many people know my name and what people think I'm doing is awesome. I don't care about that. What does Jesus think about what am I doing? Am I remaining in him and not producing fruit? Does, does he think what I'm doing is significant? That's what I want. I'm going for his approval. I don't care if my ministry is small, if my sphere of influence is small. I'm concerned about the affections of Jesus. I'm concerned about what he thinks about what I'm doing. You don't like it? Well, you do like it probably because you're here, but if people don't like it, oh well. They don't have to get in on it. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my word remains in you, oh, come on. You may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory. To my father, did you know just by producing fruit, you worship God? By remaining, you're worshiping God. You bring glory to the father. He finds pleasure in that. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings much great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you would be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What do we got to do? Remain. I want to have joy in my life. Remain. Don't come and go from his presence. Remain. Have the meetings. Have the gatherings. How the encounters stay. Now, people have gone all weird on this. Oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me. Do you really need to say that the Holy Spirit's telling me, or can you just function like you're mature and you're just doing what the Father says without having to get everybody else's approval by saying that? It gets on my nerves. God's telling me. It's like it's going to add some kind of authority on what you're doing. You've got the authority. You don't have to, like, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to, like, add that for the approval. <laughs> on nerves. Okay. Really? Can't tell. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you these things that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my command. Okay, Jesus is telling us how to abide, love each other. 
the same way that I've loved you, there's no greater love. Oh. So remain is about this whole thing, about this thing called love, this thing we call worship, this thing we call communion, this thing called getting together. Jesus is like, you want to remain? Love on me. You want to remain? Love on those around you. This is how you remain in my presence, by letting love flow in and out of you. This is what Jesus is saying. Keep reading here. I thought I would save the details for later, but I'll just get ahead of myself. So there's no greater love than this than to lay one's life down for his friends, but you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, you're my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You didn't pick me to be your friend. I picked you to be my friend. And I point you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father would give you whatever you ask for using my name. Oh, come on. All in the context of biting. Why? Because when you ask for things, they're going to be things that Jesus wants because you know what he wants because he's in your business. This is my command, love each other. So remaining, abiding, that word remaining or abiding, in just different translations use different words, is the Greek word meno, which means to stay, abide, to continue, to dwell. In other words, live here. Man, worship was so good tonight. Man, isn't the worship team killing it? They're just doing so good. I love those moments. Those are great moments. But we live there. We don't have to have a band and a sound system for it to sound right. We live there. We live in communion. We live in his presence. We live in worship. People, and people got this thing, you know, the, oh, worship's a li- is worship a moment and we're doing together or is worship a lifestyle? Yes, it is that. And it is the lifestyle. But I think when people say that, they don't know what they're saying. They're saying this. They don't get it, but they're saying this. You're a dwelling house. You're a worship house. You're a 24-hour house of prayer. You are. When we have organizations, yes, we want that. So what does this look like? First of all, relational obedience makes it possible. Relational obedience makes it possible. We, we hit on it a few minutes ago that Jesus is like, let me switch this thing up. This ain't working. I mean, this whole system that man and God have, this thing called the law, ain't working. So let me revamp it. So he makes the, he doesn't get rid of obedience. I mean, Jesus is emphasizing here, if you want to be in relationship with me, you're going to have to obey me. Because he is still Jesus. He is still the king. Come on, he's not your boy and you just do whatever you want. What kind of relationship is that? He's still the king. So he says, to remain in my love, and when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. So Jesus emphasized, again, we talked about it a moment ago, the command to love. It's relational. You're no longer slaves to the law. We're no longer slaves to the law. We're not slaves to a system. I love how Jesus talks about his relationship with his father because he didn't, you know, a lot of people are like talk about, and I think we need to have respect. We need to have honor. Absolutely. All those kind of things. But I think that we're so like careful that we're like, Oh, I don't want to be all sacrilegious or whatever. And so we're like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, tread on God. And I think, yes, there needs to be a place for that. And we need to be absolutely reverent. But Jesus is showing us 
guys, it's really about like this connection that we have. It's really about this relationship. And Jesus models this when he says, uh, John chapter 15, 19 says, I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing of himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. How many know Jesus is the prototype? He was showing us we only do what the father says to do. What we see him doing, John 16, Jesus says this. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes in Acts 2, he will guide you in all truth. Oh. He will not speak of his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will let him. Jesus is saying, there's things that I can't tell you that the Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you. I'm telling you that Jesus will tell you to do things through the spirit. Now, it's never going to contradict anything that aren't necessarily in the Bible. But because you have the spirit of truth, bearing truth, because we've talked about this before, that he is the advocate, he is the one there saying yes, saying no, that we will be moved by the spirit, that we go, we know what God wants. Because we have relational obedience. And see, the problem is, is, you know, when I was going to CFNI, I remember there was this guy, and, you know, he is super evangelist, you know, he's... You know, you know, you guys know, you know, y'all know, you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? And he was like, oh, and I was walking down the street and God said, turn right. So I turned right. And then God said, turn left. You know, and everybody's like, oh, it's all good. And I was just like, I mean, God didn't speak to me like that. So we've kind of mystified this thing called God speaking where only the really super spiritual people get to hear God. And so when people like want to super spiritualize or elevate themselves, like God is saying, listen, you don't need that endorsement God is saying. To, you have permission. You have permission to act like Jesus. Not as the ruler and the king, but the servant of all. But how Jesus, you have permission. Everybody say it. I have permission. You have permission. You have permission to heal the sick. You have permission to raise the dead. You have permission to love the broken. You don't need the church to do it. And you come to the event. That's the problem is we have these events and we don't live in the reality. And so we get mad at the church because they're not feeding the homeless. You're the church. Feed the homeless. Shut up. Quit complaining because God doesn't like complaining either. As much as he likes the homeless going hungry. He doesn't like either one of those things. So shut up and go feed the homeless. We need to do more of this. We're going to go for it. You have permission from Jesus. <laughs> Come on. We'll have the events. Are you with me? We'll have the events. I know I'm, I know I'm preaching good tonight. Come on. I ain't preaching no more. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> right? Listen, we function... Out of obedience, of the wooing of the Spirit. We don't have to attach. God says, the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen, there might be those moments you got to do that. But sometimes you're going to say God's saying and God ain't saying. So how about you just be smart and not even use that vernacular? It's a good word for you today. He said vernacular. You have permission to function like Jesus functions. So number one, relational obedience. That's what it looks like, man. It's a wooing. It's like you feel tenderness towards someone. I was in Coles yesterday, and there was these people that, like, you know, that I was kind of, like, annoyed with. I was like, man, why is this guy so dorky? Like, I was thinking that. I know it's wrong. I don't know how I'm supposed to think like that. And they were, the lady was working there, and she was, like, older. And I don't know, man, just old people, like, break my heart. And I was just like, 
I mean, she's like, you know, going through all this stuff, and these people are, you know, doing their thing, and I'm just kind of like, I wasn't like annoyed, annoyed, but I was kind of like, oh gosh, Lord, you know. And so this lady, this old lady, you know, she's apologizing. I'm so sorry. You know, they walked out, and the buzzer went off, and she, oh, I'm so sorry. She's apologizing. I was like, no, no, you're good. And I and I found in this moment, I'm sitting here thinking, man, if I just like can just find, like, pleasure for this woman. Like, if I can really see her, like, Jesus loves that she's, you know, being all, like, kind of silly and kind of loopy. Jesus loves that about this woman, you know, and I'm just getting, like, this tenderness for this old lady, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, God, just take your time, you know, and I'm just so patient, you know, I have, like, stuff to do, and I totally forgot about that. I just thought about this woman for a minute, and it did a lot more for me than it did her because I didn't share anything with her, but I was just, like, just being nice about it. God was just revealing all this. So, listen, I don't have to say, God, the Holy Spirit told me to come out of love on this woman. So I love her. And listen, there will be those moments, and you will attach that, but, but you don't have to have that. You have permission. Okay? You have permission. <laughs> Are you okay? All right. I know I need to hurry. Number two. Number one, relational obedience makes it possible. Number two, when we abide, it reveals what is hidden. The first thing that is hidden is secrets, right? What is a secret? A secret is something you n- know now that you didn't know before, right? Something you're not supposed to maybe share with everybody else, but you know, right? And I almost blew a secret this week about 40 times. Jesus said, I don't no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Is God confiding in you? You can know you're abiding if God's confiding. Come on. What is God sharing with you in those moments? Because I believe in that moment God was sharing with me something. But I don't have to get up here and be like, God said during this moment. It's like, no, it's just, he's just like, hey, you want to sit there? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, she's so cute. He's like, I'm over just like, I'm like, hey. Right? I'm not all like trans, you know, all weird about it. You don't have to be weird. You have permission. Right? So secrets, he's going to reveal to you things. You're his friend. Right? Okay. That's how he sees you. He wants to share stuff with you. And the second thing that reveals what is hidden is solutions, solutions to problems, right? Discouragement and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Someone's discouraged, you have the gift of encouragement. I don't really have that gift. Yes, you do. You have Jesus in you. You have everything you need. I know some people have the gift. Listen, we've got this idea, again, this Old Testament thing that we just bring everything, bring everything on Saturday. And just, oh, come on, God. Give it to the Lord right now in this moment. And I love the moments. But I believe it's time that we stop just piling up our stuff before our quiet time or our time with the Lord or our meeting or our gathering, that we would just, in these moments, that we would begin to infuse what is in us to these issues. So if there's discouragement there, we have the fullness of joy inside of us and we infuse the situation with joy. Right? This is the kingdom. It's life in the kingdom. You got joy, overwhelming joy, more joy than you can contain. Why is it more than you can contain? Because you were designed to give it away. That's what we call overflow because it's not just about you. It's about all over you. It's about pouring in and out of you and getting all over everybody else. And when you live and you walk and you do, you get all over everybody. And rather than do it with a bad, rotten attitude, how about you do it with the love of Jesus? 
How about you do it with God's affections? How does God feel about that person that's getting on your nerves that you just posted on Facebook that you hate? I am. Relational obedience makes it possible. Reveals what is hidden and is ruled by love. I need to hurry. Remain in my love. Love each other. Divine flow. This presence is a love saturation. We abide from love. Relational obedience. And we do it with love. We rule with love. We love one another. Love is the motivation of everything we do. When it stops being the motivation, it becomes laborsome and we lose the pleasure in what we're doing. That's why Jesus is like, it's all about loving me and it's all about loving people. The moment you lose the love, it becomes labor. And when it becomes labor, eventually you'll quit because the rewards aren't good enough for you. And they're not good enough for me. So we've got to always labor from love for love. We're not striving. Yes, we are. When we don't feel like it, we still do it anyway. We're striving. Yes. Striving to love. Desiring deeper. Talking about works. I'm talking about faith. When you don't feel like loving, you love anyway. That's faith. Come on. Love them anyway. Why? Because you do love them. You forget? I don't love them. By faith, you better. Okay. Oh, it's not striving. It's not works. Love is the motivation of everything we do. When that stops, the obedience becomes laborsome. We lose pleasure, and then eventually we quit. Listen, there's a difference between compassion and feeling sorry for people. We've talked about this before. Compassion meets a need. Feeling sorry for someone just produces pity. We must have compassion. We must be moved with people. Jesus did some of the greatest miracles he did because he was moved with compassion. We're not moved by fear. Oh, no, what if something bad happens? Fear controls. Love liberates. Closing with this, Second Samuel chapter 7. David just gets through building the house, right? His palace. He's like, yeah. Come on, bring me some grapes. <laughs> come on, somebody, come fan me off. I want the temperature at 72.5. He looks over at the prophet. Nathan, and I believe that he has one of these moments, right? The moments that we live in. And he says, here I am. Dwelling. Palace. The king's palace. Yet God is stuck in a tent outside. God's stuck in a tent. Look at me. One of the greatest worship expressions ever demonstrated who am I to live here and have all this and God is somewhere else and in those moments David said I will build a house and Nathan the prophet sitting there with him and he's like David whatever's in your heart man let's do it this is where we get the idea of the temple and all this kind of thing listen God longs for a people and a people that desire him a people that love him they'll say God I will be your dwelling place. I'm not going to leave you in a tent, a place where I go, a tent of meeting, where I just go meet every once in a while. God, I want to be, and I understand the temple's totally different New Testament, that we would be a people that say, God, I will be 
your dwelling place. I will be the one that your presence can rest in because I can tell you that God is looking for people on the earth to say, can I dwell in you? Can I dwell in you? Not can I come and visit you? Not can I just come change your life? Can I live in you? Can I live out of you? Can we abide? Can we live in a fellowship? Can we be, can you be a house of prayer?